Hey, welcome back. It's that time of the week once again for your Edge of Innovation podcast. It's Disruptive AF with myself, Trigger Jordan, and my astute co-host, Daniel Holter. What's up, Dan? Good to see you once again. Hey, what's up, Trigger? How are you doing? You appear to be outside this time. You know, I just get tired of being inside. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I go outside sometimes. I know. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's uh, pretty toasty, but it's about as hot as our conversation today is going to be right here, Disruptive AF, because, yeah, that was a perfect segue. I'm not even going to lie about it. It was flawless. (laughs) Yeah. Dude. Well, seriously, man, we're totally honored to have with us a fellow innovator who's uh, at the U.S. Air Force Center of Strategy and Technology right now. Now, his name is Brad Short, but goes by Ralphie. And uh, he's been a senior air battle manager and entrepreneur uh, who creates not only leading edge technologies, but directly impacts the warfighter. One of the cool things, Dan, about him, uh, as we get ready to introduce him here in a second, is that, um, you know, he went to the first ever AFWORK Spark Collider in August of 2019 and, and took his project, which is called Widow, from an idea and a prototype uh, to an operational software, which is awesome. I mean, this is the, the Rafi, welcome to Disruptive AF. You are the epitome of, of Air Force innovator just through and through. So welcome to Disruptive AF podcast. We're so glad to have you, man. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Should be fun. It will. So tell us a little bit about about your start, where you got started. So you're an air bang battle manager um, and being a, a fellow uh, AWACS uh, person myself, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how people really got their start kind of in the, the uh, um, in the innovation circuit, no matter where they're at. So where did you really get started? Yeah. So it, um, the actual idea started when I was up at Elmendorf in Alaska as the chief of wing weapons and tactics up there. Um, but really it was kind of born out of frustration of being a mission planning cell chief and a mission commander over the last, you know, eight to 10 years where we've been doing things, um, super old school, uh, we've finally got out of chalkboards. We're into whiteboards now, but we're talking about whiteboards and Excel and PowerPoint when we have more in the 21st century here and we should be able to have things that update automatically no matter where you're at in the world. So it was really just um, trying to apply like good modern technology to a problem that's really never been addressed. I feel like a lot of people are still riding that high of the switch from chalkboards to whiteboards. They're like, we did it. We did it, folks. Yeah, exactly. And I can't tell you how many whiteboards are still bought all the time. It's kind of like the TVs at the end of the fiscal year thing. Like whiteboards is kind of like the other piece of that, too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And one thing I heard in there just as the uh, the sort of impetus for your journey into the innovation space was frustration. Um, I think that maybe we have like a culture that kind of says that we should keep our frustration to ourselves. Is that is that kind of what you feel like you did and and what changed for you that might have turned that frustration into action? Yeah, um, you know, obviously in the military environment, you're supposed to just kind of suck it up and deal with what you got right and just kind of get through the mission and what you're doing. But um, I, I will say that I think being in a leadership environment that has had or that encourages innovation and doesn't accept that we just do things the way we've always done them was a huge uh, precursor to kind of break out of that mold and, and say, look, like we have the ability to do something better here. Like let's take some time and, and really look at it and do it. Um, 
Now that entailed working pretty much two full-time jobs for a year, but you know, in my, you know, uh, estimation, it, it was worth it at least to, to try and get something down the road. Yeah. You're in good company there. I, I mean, just with, with us, we, you're talking to a couple of people who are kind of used to being that kind of values driven, you know, just picking up a whole other job because we would rather produce value than keep doing things the way that we were. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that that's super important that the leadership kind of paved the way it sounds like they, they kind of made the environment so that you were, you felt capable of acting on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had, um, up the third wing, like there, there honestly is a, a culture of innovation. And I mean, I've been around long enough that there's so many buzzwords that go on and in the military, I'm sure people are sick of hearing the I word, but, um, you know, we have two wings up at, at J-Bear. We have the 673rd, which is like our support wing, and they have the traditional spark cell. And then we have the third wing, which is our, our operational wing with the AWACS C-17 and F-22s. And I would say 100% of the projects, innovation things coming out of J-Bear in the past have been either on the 673rd support side or in the maintenance group, which is phenomenal like they all do really great work and there's a lot of really awesome projects there but i've never really seen that many projects on the ops side of things that impact like actual flying operations on a day-to-day -day basis besides the um you know the maintenance stuff which is phenomenal that you know the the guys up at jbear can print parts and they've got a 3d lab and they're doing all kinds of cool stuff so we wanted to get in on that a little bit too you know, that's really interesting you say that because when you think about the ops side, you know, you, you see organizations like special operations and these units that are completely used to and adapted to being agile in whatever they have to do. Uh, and, and getting parts on an aircraft or the type of technology they're using, it's more important to have the use case of the mission prioritized than it is the, the bureaucracy that would hold it back. But oftentimes when you look at the actual operations of what a normal squadron is or uh, just, you know, any operation squadron, I think people really find themselves set back uh, of saying, you know, it's going to take forever to get this part on the aircraft. We might as well not even try. So what are the some of the challenges as you were looking in this innovation space? Because when you're talking about hanging, uh, hanging stuff off aircraft or adding technology to aircraft, especially for operations, um, there's a lot that goes into it. And when you start looking at it, it's not that it's impossible. It's just it takes a lot of commitment to be able to see that through. So when you started in on this project, uh, Widow, I guess, first, really, wh what is it? And when you saw uh, the need for it, kind of out of that place of frustration, what kept you from stopping? Yeah, so uh, Widow, it, it's an acronym. It stands for Web-Based Information Dominant Warfare. Uh, what it stands for doesn't really matter. just needed a cool name and a cool logo. Uh, that way, you know, people actually remember it and and kind of uh, take take it to heart. But really the what it does is it digitizes the entire mission planning process so uh, on a day-to-day -day basis for someone any you know anywhere in the air force if you're participating in a large force exercise like red flag or valiant shield or a neptune event something like that um, you know right now you would go and have a poor lieutenant or young airman that's in charge of like making mission planning products, right? And they get stuck down in front of a computer. They do all the Excel, they're copying and pasting or, you know, like manual copy paste from the whiteboard, uh, hoping they don't mess something up. And, 
then at the end of a 12 hour day, you hope you have it right. And then you start to transit or transition that data into PowerPoint slides. And it's just like, we've got to have a better way to do that. So um, we, for the MVP, we essentially, what we have right now, we created a way for um, anybody with an internet connection can log in to a particular mission and a particular exercise and they can see real-time updates for the entire mission planning day. So, um, and our, our test case was at the weapons school integration uh, for class 20 alpha this past June. And traditionally they have 10 geographically separated units that come to Nellis to execute that um, capstone exercise for the weapons school. Well, due to COVID this year, none of those units could actually travel to Nellis. So, um, our initial plan was to have Widow on its own kind of demo server at Nellis, but we got the call from Nellis in April to say, hey, can you guys make this thing live on the Air Force network uh, in record time, essentially. <laughs> so um, the the guys at BrainGoo that I had on contract, they went from no code to on platform one live on Air Force Nipper in four weeks and it was that's incredible yeah yeah absolutely Dude, that is unheard of yeah it was of just a phenomenal effort and it, essentially everyone we ran into at nellis like as they started to use widow and and they're flying live missions like some of the largest missions in the air force with the products created out of widow um they're they were just shocked that something like that could be built that fast and work that well um, and we also, you know, we live by the continuous improvement, continuous deployment cycle on platform one and BrainGoo was able to make over 300 changes in 12 days, both, uh, front end and back end from direct operator feedback. And that's like, you know, we're not used to that in the air force. We're used to having to talk to six or seven different levels below an actual contractor to get something changed or just even understand like why it works, how it does. Uh, and in this case, you had operators talking yeah. directly to that lead developer saying, hey, I want it to do this. And minutes later, it would do that. So it's pretty impressive. Dude, Dan, it, it, and Ralphie, it's stories like this that honestly just excite the heck out of me. Because you, it, when you look at the process of what has been in the past, if you would have told me, oh yeah, we got this from, you know, as you're saying from, from uh, the code to on the platform to be able to use it four weeks, I would have called you a liar that there's no way that's happening. But it's there's progress being made. Like there's a truly no kidding progress being made and people are starting to see the importance of quickly moving forward and rapidly adapting and saying, hey, this isn't a question, we need to get it done. Like we have to find a way to be able to get it done, which is is huge. So after that, there was that movement because COVID frankly has sparked uh, a lot of efforts of saying, okay, we don't get to say no. Uh, we have to assess the risk for the reality of what it is and determine what's more important, functionality or uh, complete and total risk averseness. Um, so ha after that happened, have you found people kind of coming back on the back end like, well, you know, maybe we need to take a look at this a little bit deeper? <laughs> uh, luckily, no. The um, we We were one of the first applications to get into platform one. And so I think that has really helped us just kind of totally stiff arm any of that because we have our continuous authority to operate. And yeah, now yeah. 
point where we're just improving things. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. So one thing that I want to, I want to bring up just that that makes me think of this four weeks from zero code to being on platform and functional, uh, that in my experience, you know, dealing with folks from castle run and people who had been in castle run and, and we were doing something at the 70th wing for a while where we were helping to build a product for a threat assessment. Um, one thing that really facilitated that was what happened before you started writing code though. It's, it, it is, it is necessary. You can't expect to hire an agile team and have them immediately start writing code because the most important part of this is making sure that you have the problem correct. And I don't, I don't know if you could speak specifically to the process that they went through, but, uh, in, in, you know, in the case of Castle Run and, and, uh, the, uh, the folks out of there and the partners that they work with, it's a discovery and framing process, which can be a few months. But what I've seen is leaders unwilling to commit time to discovery and framing because they want to, they want to like get started. But as a result, you have Air Force leaders still dropping millions and millions of dollars on waterfall contracts to build products that will happen in a few years and won't work. I see it still happening today because they're not willing to put to commit to a couple of months of discovery and framing. Yeah, hundred percent, Daniel. That's. Um we had a lot of time in between August and this past April to do a lot of uh, whiteboarding sessions between Brangu and I, some wireframing, um, you know, just really teasing out the problem. Um, one of the, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it earlier or not, but when I pitched at Spark Collider, they had a hundred small businesses there. Um, there were 13 that ended up showing interest in my pitch to try and solve the problem. And uh, so I took about three months to sift through those 13 companies and really like feel them out and narrowed it down to two and then finally chose brain goo. But one of the reasons I chose them is uh, just their ability to quickly understand the problem. And they weren't looking for me to say, here's how I want you to solve it. They wanted to understand the problem. And then they took their very capable dynamic team and said, hey, what do you think about this? And yeah. then we just start tweaking from there. So that was pretty um, pretty imperative to be able to run fast. Absolutely. And it's something uh, and it's something I would warn people against when you're being, you know, as people are being contacted by companies, if a company approaches you and say it says, I understand your problem, they are lying. Yeah. They are lying to you. Because if you have not interacted with the users, uh, the people who are going to be using this product, uh, if they're not doing the design of the product in collaboration and coordination with users, they have no basis from which to say they understand the problem, which is, it sounds like you kind of went through your own kind of, it, it's a, it's an interesting process using the spark collider, getting a bunch of different pitches and finding somebody with that, that mindset of curiosity and willingness to, to really explore the problem. That was, it sounds like really essential in getting to the right product. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, when I started down this journey, I thought I was alone um, in people trying to solve this problem. There, you know, there were some other efforts going on in the in the mission planning space, but none of them could act on the speed or like the decision speed that we could. And so we quite frankly, we just lapped them. And uh, we lapped them, we got on Nipper, we got a continuous ATO, and now this is, 
you know, designated as the Air Force solution for a mission planning cell software. And like that, that to me was pretty incredible because I looked at the other efforts going on and the amount of money that they were spending and what they weren't producing. And um, it was just pretty cool to see something that was $230,000 turn into, into this. Yeah. So is, is is this something is this something because I know there's a lot of people who have ideas who are in the military and they have this original idea of saying, hey, I, maybe it's not original in the sense of the problem solving, but the way in which you go about solving it and creating that platform to be able to do it. So was this something that as you were looking at it, this is a this is your so widow is your creation. And then it's you know, you had to set up a separate company and then you had hired people to be able to contract it to the Air Force. Or was this something that was built within the Air Force? and then they just got money allocated to it. Because there's a lot of people who go through this intellectual property struggle of saying, yes, I was in the military, but actually this was my idea. And this is you know, a new area that the Air Force is getting into because we have to value and respect the, the intellectual ability and, and, and uh, just strength that people have. And it's not that it's being manipulative or unappreciated, but that's one of the things that the Air Force is uh, right now really working towards is how do we allow people to have these free thoughts to grow their ca- capability to grow a business and be excited about it but still respect the space that they are active duty and, and what the integration looks like so so what 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 were those steps and kind of what was that transition for you yeah so um when when i was working with the you know the original idea and then i went to the spark collider i kind of knew at the point that i went to the spark collider that like my IPs out the, you know, it's out the window, which, which I'm perfectly fine with. Uh, I just wanted the problem solved for all my bros and, and sisters that are going to come behind me that I don't want them to have the same, you know, eight to 10 year frustration that I did. So, um, but what I did was, you know, I took the idea and it, it's not a new idea to be quite honest. Like everybody, I've heard people talk about this for years of, Hey, we need to have something like this. We're sick of the way it is, all that type of stuff. Um, the difference was just the platform to be able to try and solve the problem through the AFWORK Spark Collider, uh, being able to articulate the problem in a way to leadership to get them to buy in with a little bit of money. Like my wing commander gave me 150 grand. Um, so he paid for over two thirds of the first uh, widow development, Colonel Davis uh, at the third wing. and. If he didn't do that, like the Air Force wouldn't have Widow right now. And just his wow. ability wow. to buy in and and trust in me as a, you know, as the chief of wing weapons and tactics, and I'm saying this is a good idea, this is something we need to do. Um, that that's really what made it happen. And then me just being able to stick through it with brain goo on a on a day-to-day basis on, hey guys, like we're we're marching towards this, like. Uh, I promise you, if we get this done, like it's going to be big. We just actually got to get it done. Yeah, that's that is uh, <laughs> that's amazing. several times on on podcasts and episodes before we've mentioned uh, where if leaders will simply invest in power and release their people to be able to launch into the ideas that they have. And this is Dan. This is just one more example of it. I mean, those three things. I know it's hokey to have you know, three core leadership principles and say, oh man, if we'll just do this, but seriously, it's, it's that simple. 
if you invest into your people with the resources they need, empower them to be able to do it and release them, they come up with great ideas, like seriously great ideas. So hey, we're, we're gonna take a break real quick right here on Disruptive AF, and when we come back, not only are we gonna talk about what's coming up next for Widow uh, and for Ralphie and his, and his team, but also some of the challenges they've really had to work through, that maybe some of the challenges they knew about beforehand, but how do you wade your way through those waters uh, of, of just innovating in a space that maybe sometimes isn't necessarily friendly to innovation. So we'll be right back here on the Disruptive AF podcast. Thanks for joining us. Airman Powered by Innovation runs an idea sharing and problem curation platform to help organizations run campaigns and solve challenges regarding their mission. Explore topics like the Vice Chief's Challenge Saving Airman Time and COVID-19 Teleworking Best Practices to get involved. Create an account or learn more on us.af.ideascalegov.com. Hey, welcome back to Disruptive AF, your favorite podcast about Air Force and innovation generally. Uh, we are here with Brad Ralphie Short. He is a senior air battle manager and entrepreneur who's been working on the Widow Project. Um, and one thing that really stood out to me that we kind of passed over pretty quickly was that uh, the continuous ATO process and how that might have enabled the form of, of development that you saw with the uh, Widow Project. And I've seen be kind of fundamental to the success of other software development efforts. So if you could speak a little bit to the what, what it is when what, what, what people mean when they refer to a continuous ATO to start with, let's kind of like demystify that and and what platform one specifically is enabling for people who might want to get into this uh, this software development space yeah absolutely and, and if we can just say what an ato is because there's people who may have no idea yeah yeah or there's a lot of folks in the ops world that just think ato is air tasking order and obviously we're not talking about that in the software world here um so ato is an authority to operate which is essentially your golden ticket to be able to put either a software application or even access like a cloud hosted um, website within an official Air Force network, whether that be Nipper, Sipper, JWix, uh, SAP networks as well uh, coming up in the future. So that authority to operate usually goes through a months long process uh, it starts with an RMF, like a risk management framework. That's the old school uh, way of doing things on the A6, like comm side. And then after a few months, you may or may not get your application approved, and then you can go to it or load it on a Nipper computer. But what a continuous ATO does is it essentially says, if you create your software or your application, or you set up your cloud-based uh, service, within specific parameters within a specific pipeline, then as long as you follow the rules of that pipeline, then you're able to uh, continuously improve your software, continuously deploy your changes within that continuous ATO. So it's essentially sets up a process to allow fast, agile teams to 
make changes when they need to without having to go back through a months long paperwork process. And uh, the chief software officer of the Air Force, Nick Shalane, has been a huge uh, proponent and really you know made platform one kind of what it is right now. And that's uh, you know a DOD level platform one, which is uh, the pipeline that Widow sits on right now. And it's really the way of the future for cloud-based services uh, on on multiple different security levels. So if there's anybody out there listening that's you know familiar with Mattermost, maybe your wing is using that for FOUO type communication. Uh, that's also on platform one, and uh, the same way that you log in to Mattermost right now on any device without a CAC, you'll be able to do that with Widow in a few weeks as well. Um, and still be able to process FOUO data. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. And this is like, I think the, the thing that really made me understand the power of this is when you're looking at something that's like software as a service, like a web app that you're logging, you know, you're just going into in your browser every day, or even like a phone app that you go into, you might go into it and it's like, there's an update available. Well, they're like, they're, you know, these agile teams are sometimes dropping like, tens or even hundreds of updates over the course of a day or a week. And it, in the past, when it was installed on your computer as like, you know, this, uh, this thing that you had to download and then run an executable, it was, uh, there was this whole process. It's like we're bringing something new into the system. Whereas since, since now everything can be hosted on these secure environments, we can continually respond to, to user needs, which is, really essential in this agile development uh, approach. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's critical for applications like Widow and, and others that are coming down the line uh, onto platform one. And when you start to look towards the future of ABMS, like the advanced battle management system, their applications are all going to ride on platform one as well. So, uh, you know, there's really a lot of buy-in to the platform and that is just going to make it a lot better, you know, in the long run as well. So uh, you start talking about distributed operations and how, uh, you know, we're not going to have our fancy Air Force network set up everywhere we need to be. So we have to be able to access certain things um, with any type of internet connection as long as we have the right kind of security set up and everything. So that's what um, that's what Platform One is going to allow us to do. That, that, that when that happens, it's going to be absolutely, I mean, it's going to be revolutionary. And I don't say that I don't use that term often, but it's going to completely change the way that we think about operations, the way we think about planning, the way we think about literally everything. And I've heard people several times talk about zero trust network um, and, and being able to get access to the things that we need, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what type of connectivity you have. Uh, and, and this isn't a, uh, you know, it's it's no longer a conversation of, hey, this would be cool. It's in, it's really a necessity. And one of the things, you know, I, I'd say the younger, <laughs> the younger generations of the Air Force, I'll say majors and below. Um, I like to consider ourselves younger, but uh, for the majors and below, for us, we, I, I think we know, all of us know, or anybody who's tech savvy realize, um, this isn't a, this isn't something we get to say no to. It's just who's going to get there first, and who's going to learn to operate in this realm, who's going to learn to operate in this space, who's going to be able to capitalize on it. Uh, it's not a, we, we don't get to say no anymore. And and, and Dan and, and team, that's one of the things that I've really seen the transition of in the last year has been they're used to at times when talking about 
not just zero trust network, but building on a platform so that it can go to a continuous ATO. It, it seemed almost previously it was like that, well, you know, we're not sure if that's going to be capable. And that mindset seems to be going away of it's not, not that it's not capable. We have to make it capable. We have to get there. How is it that we do it and how do we start the changes so everything makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the old way of doing things is just less and less acceptable, especially as people in their daily lives are using things that are developed in an agile manner that are, you know, like when when something new comes out, for example, like a budgeting app or something, and it's brand new, and I find that it's useful to me, a lot of times I can reach out directly to the development team and say, hey, this thing isn't working for me, and they will jump on it and they will fix a feature for me. And that is the future of software. It is responsiveness to human needs on the ground rather than some sort of broad. Uh, I, so right now I'm in, uh, I'm in a certifying course for design thinking. And one thing that occurred to me, just this, this phrase as I was as I was discussing things with the the uh, director of the course from the Darden School of Business uh, today, is the idea that if you try and design for everybody, you end up designing for nobody. If you are not in direct contact with people and designing for those people, if you're trying to design for the average person, the average person doesn't exist. It's an it's a artificial concept, That's a great and point. you cannot design for them. Dude, that's that is that is a great great point because you think oh you know everybody will love it this is this is how how and why you know when you talk about startups and getting started this is why a lot of startups don't necessarily make it past the initial phase is because they think there's these you know big bombastic general statements everybody's gonna love this well who is everybody because <laughs> we live in a diverse place and each business whether it's commercial whether it's military whether it's DoD or Fed federal everybody has a different use case in their specific instance and we see this often with uh, companies that are coming in with technologies that there's maybe 60% of what they have that's really really good and I don't necessarily care about the other 40% at all because I won't be able to use it well it, it was really interesting that for when I first kind of got started in the cyber process understanding what it was I was excited to find one or two items that the company had that were useful to us I mean really excited and that was worth getting you know a, a, a phase one cyber for to develop this piece and it took a while for the, some of the, the commercial companies in the cyber process to realize I don't want everything I, I don't necessarily want or need everything you're throwing at me I just need this one thing that you got and I need it to be really really good because if you do it'll save me so much time yeah I think the um you know, the SBIR process has been pretty interesting going along over the last year. I know uh, before the break, Trigger, you were talking about like challenges that I kind of incurred along the way. Um, it's probably a good segue because most of the challenges were with the SBIR process. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, AFWorks is great. It's a really good platform. It's uh it gives people the jumping off point to, to be innovative and to kind of open up their eyes to what could happen. Um, but I think sometimes there's, you know, airmen may think, or the, the message comes across, hey, this is gonna be super easy. Like you're gonna go tell this company that you have this great idea, you're gonna get a pile of money to go solve this problem however you want to, and everything's going to be done for you. And all you have to do is like have this super cool idea and then it's going to happen. Um, newsflash for everybody, like 
that is not how it happens. <laughs> uh, not, even, <laughs> not even a little bit of, of how it happens. So, um, you know, signing signing an MOU with a an SBIR phase one company is is easy. And as a you know regular military member, you know junior military member, you can sign that MOU. But getting your leadership to buy in, getting money to apply to that MOU, getting uh, you know, the scope of that MOU done correctly so that you actually get what you want out of that prototype uh, at the end of that MOU in that phase two, we're, we're talking here, um, is is difficult and it takes time and, and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of dedication to what you're trying to get to at the end. And I think, you know, Daniel, you were talking about that earlier where you really want to tease these problems out as much as you can before you start so that you have a clear vision at the end. And that's only gonna make your milestones and your uh, you know, capabilities you're trying to hit within the SBIR uh, that, much, um, that much better. And you're gonna get a much better product in the end because the whole goal is to transition your SBIR phase two into a phase three, right? We wanna get it to a full-on Air Force contract and eventually get it to sustainment and try and get a program office to pick it up. Um, I've been told that there's maybe a handful of those that have happened so far, um, to get through to a, to an actual phase three and transition to a program office. So, um, that, you know, there's a lot of times you're going to try and fail within innovation and that's okay. But I think if we took a step back in the beginning with more folks and really figured out what we wanted to do by the end, we could probably have some more successful transitions. Yeah, I absolutely hear that message. And it's something that it, we've been kind of like, we've been sort of shouting and talking about in within the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum spaces, as well as um, I, I had the opportunity to, to through Agitare to facilitate a, a conversation about how, like what we're trying to get after with the AFWorks Cyber avenues specifically with what platforms we're doing and whether those work for all stakeholders for all of their use cases for the entire life cycle of their problems and in many cases i think you're right i think it's not quite there i think you know they've they saw uh a piece of the puzzle and they you know they're fulfilling one thing that they're trying to get after which is just to expand the defense industrial base they are very effectively at least expanding the awareness, the visibility, the presence of a significant number of solution providers. But I can tell you that my experience as an airman on the ground, having, you know, having problems and wanting one to know who are these people and what do they bring to the table and how can I help them understand my problem so that they can develop a solution for me. Those, I, I think we're still very much in, in gray area there. And, and I know that uh, some of the some of the players in that space are still they're they're still in discovery mode, trying to figure out what whose uh, whose pain points are we not hitting here? You know, like whether it's airmen on the ground who are just having a problem and shouldn't have to know what the cyber process is, or it's you know now you have people with cybers who don't know who their users are supposed to be, who are basically cold calling members to be like, hey, I think uh, you know. I call them hammer salesmen who try to convince everybody that their problem is a nail, but that's just me being snarky. 
Yeah, there, there's. Uh, it's so interesting you say that because the, the the segue of companies trying to get plugged into the SIPR process, there's so much work that individual companies have to do to get plugged in, and there's so much work that the military members have to do to make sure that they're getting a good fit with a company that's able to actually carry out what they think. And it's not that companies, it's not that companies are trying to be deceitful at all, but oftentimes it's they don't understand not only the military environment, but what it takes to be able to move forward with the milestones they create. Uh, and how to be effective in that. And and I see a lot of people get frustrated with because they're like, man, this didn't turn out anything like that that it was going to. Well, because you have to be very intentional. I love what you said about managing expectations. If you're going into a server with a company, you have to be very clear of how, one, set the image of how the military operates and what we're trying to do uh, and what the, the use case is and make sure that they understand what that process is going to look like and uh, if you're not going to meet a deadline, like we need to know so we can adjust, uh, so we can adjust because we can't just keep on dragging it out forever. Like we need to know uh, the super process is finite. You have phase one, you have phase two, or are we getting to phase three? And one of the things kind of as we get ready to close, which I'm not going to drop this grenade completely, but probably something a good time for another conversation in the future would be, you know, when, when is it that we pull the plug on these waterfall contracts that we say, you know what, this just isn't cutting anymore. We need to get these new programs into a program office that is able to execute on because these new programs are useful. They're exactly what we need. So why are we, and I'm not going to mention names of things, but I, I think we have all seen programs or modifications being done to the tune of a lot of money uh, for, for programs that are going to be non-existent in two years. So why are we upgrading? Why don't we just cancel the contract and move forward and, and get a program in there that is going to be useful? Again, not to drop a grenade, but this is this is that next set, this next phase of innovation that really needs to take place is how do we make these transitions from these great phase three uh, companies and plans and programs uh, into a place where they actually can have a home to live for the next years to get in the hands of operators. So if, if you will, just kind of in closing thoughts, what you guys think about that? And then uh, Ralphie, I would love to hear your words of wisdom before we close up today's episode of Disruptive AF. Yeah, sure. I think uh, just to close out, you know, the SBIR thing, the, you know, those, those contracts are, um, you know, the companies are trying to do their best, right? They're small businesses, they're trying to break into, to into DOD things and, and take their commercial application and, and try and try and apply it to our problems, because they know our frustrations, right? They get it. Um, but kind of like what Daniel said earlier, like, if any company tells you they can solve your problems and more, I would probably run away from that uh, SBIR phase one if they have one. Um, and and don't be afraid to slow down throughout the process. Um, you know, we talk about agile. We talk about you know doing things in minutes, hours, and days, which is phenomenal. Um, but don't go so fast that you miss something or that you kind of uh, maybe get railroaded by the company a little bit because they're not delivering what you wanted. And then you're at the end of this phase two trying to figure out what to do, um, you know, because as a military member, you need that solution. But if it really wasn't what you wanted, like, do you want to continue or not? So, uh, you know, it really pays to, to be slow and methodical. Um, which will just help you go faster in the, in the future. But um, I do want to make sure that I, I give a, a shout out to the 673rd cons who actually executed my SBIR contract for me because, um, you know, they're an operational contracting squadron at a combat coded wing in PACAF, right? Like the NDS number one priority, like they, 
shouldn't have to worry about executing SBIR contracts to fix Air Force-wide systemic problems, uh, which is what Widow fixes. And the you know the team there, Staff Sergeant Simmons and Tech Sergeant McKinsey, that have wrote contracts in weeks and got them awarded to make this happen as, as opposed to months uh, on top of their day job was just incredible. And, and we wouldn't be where we are without them. Um, the, you know, the, the flip side of that is now this is getting so big that I'm probably gonna have to transition the, the entire contract over <laughs> to somewhere else uh, just cause it's too much for a local, you know, cons squadron to kind of handle. Um, but getting us there, that was, you know, it was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard a lot of great stuff from you today. So thanks for, you know, for joining us here. It's, it's been, uh, it's always enlightening to hear these success stories, which unfortunately I think are still kind of the exception. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more of them, but uh, a lot of great ideas are still being left on the table, either, you know, because of what we talked about at the beginning, because leaders aren't facilitating the environment within which people can take action on their ideas, or because people don't know that they have, you know, access to these contracting tools or to these capabilities like continuous ATO through platform one, or they don't know that there's a better way to develop software, which involves, you know, spending that methodical time in discovery and framing. And then from there, being able to get able to get on a platform in four weeks of coding is just like when people see it for the first Miraculous. time, it, it changes it changes their world. I've seen it before where it's like, you know, because before it was literally two years could go by where you didn't see a, a, a bit of code because they were still working on requirements. Yeah. Nah, I Absolutely. And I guess, you know, to, to close trigger, I would say my, my words of wisdom were, would be to uh, just take each obstacle as an, an opportunity because this process is had way more obstacles than, uh, than wins, right? The wins are few, the obstacles are many, uh, but the wins are pretty big when you get them. So um, I read a book in the middle of all of this called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Uh, which is a pretty unique book that's kind of bringing back a piece of of uh, of history and of philosophy that hasn't really been talked about in a while. It's Stoicism. So, uh, you know, if, if you guys are interested, maybe go look that book up. But it's a very interesting book to um, on how to apply like your energy and your time to to obstacles and and to just not even let them be barriers at all. It's you're just figuring out how to get through them. So it's a pretty good book. That's awesome. Ralphie, man, thank you so much for being with uh, Daniel and myself, Jordan, who you're not seeing on the screen right now. But thanks so much for being with us today on, on Disruptive AF. And seriously, it's been an inspiration to see not only a real solution come uh, to a real need in operations, but the fact that you're able to go from <laughs> code to platform uh, in four weeks, dude, that's, that's miraculous. That's awesome. And it truly shows and indicates that we're headed forward in the right direction. So, man, thank you for joining us again right here on Disruptive AF. And if you haven't yet and you're listening to us right now, make sure you subscribe to Disruptive AF anywhere podcasts are available. And if you're watching on YouTube today, make sure you hit the subscribe button right over there and the bell to get notifications when more great content is showing up right here on your edge of innovation, Disruptive AF. We'll catch you all next week. And thanks again for being with us right here on AppWorks' podcast of innovation, Disruptive AF. Yeah.